What's the best 20-minute real estate game? My name's Jonathan, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're shining the game spotlight on an oldie, but a goodie. Buy yourself some properties and flip them for profit. This game is called For Sale. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. With me once again this week, Holly Wider. Hello. And Steve Tassie. Hello. So, this might surprise you, but quite a few of the guests who visit us at Snakes and Lattes mostly wind up playing the same games they've already got at home. Taboos, Categories, Chests, Clue, and, of course, Monopoly. The idea... Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know. The, the idea of buying up real estate and making money is powerfully appealing, and despite the game's flaws, which both Steve and myself have gone on about at some length in previous episodes of the Snakes cast, people still like buying properties and making money. So... What can a game guru recommend for people who want to have that experience without taking hours and hours? Spoiler, it's for sale. All right. Um, you two are both fans, I take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I love for sale. This game came out way back in 1997, designed by Stefan Dora. When did you first run into it? What were your impressions? Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, it would have been like three years ago. And it just it was new in the cafe that I was working at at the time. And I don't know, I really liked it because it was just so quick to learn. And it was also like there was a lot of strategy involved without being like, this is too much to handle. <laughs> and it wasn't all like, oh, now calculate all this in your head. Like it's just kind of like so quick. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it. It kind of reminds me of that. It seems like a precursor to the micro games, like Love Letter that showed up yeah. afterwards because it does so much with so little. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you run into For Sale for the first time? Can you remember? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's kind I, of one of those games that feels like it's always been there. I believe uh, it, it certainly wasn't right after it came out, but I, I'm going to guess it was probably the early 2000s when I was working in a game store. Uh, I think that would have been uh, around the I time. remember that game store. <laughs> what were your impressions at the time? Did you play it a lot back then? Uh, yeah, I... I First played it, and I thought, this game's great. <laughs> and uh, it has been uh, a regular uh, light filler game for me ever since. My wife does not like auction games, mm-hmm. so it's not one that I get to play all the time. But uh, if she's not around while I'm gaming, uh, it is definitely one that I will break out. Uh, and it is one that I recommend at the cafe a lot. Um, and I also recommend it as it's, it's one of the best Monopoly killers uh, <laughs> there is. The other one I recommend is Marrakesh because while thematically very different, it has that roll a die, move the guy uh, and, and la- land on something that isn't yours and you owe that person money right. element that is very much like Monopoly. Uh, but for sale, um, the, yeah, the, the theme is bang on. Uh, and uh, it's so much faster uh, and more interactive than Monopoly is. So it's uh, it's the ideal game to recommend to a Monopoly fan who wants to maybe branch out and try something a little different without going somewhere completely different. Do you still play for sale these days, or years after discovering it? I haven't, actually, in a while, but when you mentioned talking about it, I... Uh... I I want to now play it, but uh, no, I haven't played it in a while, but I would definitely pick it up, and it's something that I would show 
my friends and even those who like are friends that don't game, I would totally like bring it out because they'd be able to pick it up so easy. And the reverse too. I mean, you usually tend to play the the more complex, more mm-hmm. challenging Euro style games. But yeah. even despite the fact that you usually like the more complicated stuff, this game appeals to you. Oh, for sure. And yeah. is is that true for your other friends who are into the heavier stuff too? You think? Uh they they probably would. I, I haven't played it with them yet, so I'm going to have to now. All right, let's talk thinking? a little bit about the whys and the wherefore of it then. Okay, let's talk about what's in the box. I'm looking at a table of people playing for sale. What do I see? How many people are playing? Uh, anywhere from three to six, but it's really better with at least four, in my opinion. So you you, you can play it with three, but four but to six is, mm-hmm. is the best. All right. What's on the table? A bunch of cards and houses and properties that you can get. You were more familiar with them. So there's two decks of cards. Yes. One deck of cards represents the properties that you can acquire. There are 30 of them in a complete game. Depending on player count, you take away some of the cards. There's 1-1, 1-2, 1-3, all the way up to the space station, which is valued at 30. Right, and the one is like a cardboard box. Yeah. Uh, so in between, then, you've got different yeah. things like castles and condos. I like and, how the cardboard box is the one, but the two is a sewer. <laughs> who, who would rather live in a sewer than a cardboard box? Sewer keeps the rain off you yeah. better than a cardboard yeah. box, I'm thinking. Yes, by keeping you in a river of poop. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, poop, rain, poop, rain. <laughs> rain, always rain. Always choose rain. the rain. <laughs> but maybe that's just me. Uh, then the other deck of cards is a set of checks ranging in value from uh, $0 for a bum check. Mm. You don't want those. Up to $15,000 for the good checks. And uh, you've got some coins. And there's coins. Yeah. So two little decks of 30 cards and a bunch some of coins. little cardboard coins, mm. and that's it. Yes, yeah, so much less than Monopoly. Very <laughs> micro. What are the players doing then? It's, it's, it's your turn in a game of first sale. What are you doing? Uh, you start by betting on properties, correct? Yes. You, you, mm-hmm. The first half of the game is auctioning off properties. So there aren't really turns in, in the classic sense like Monopoly. You don't roll your die, move your guy, buy something or pay someone, and then someone else does their thing. Mm-hmm. It is an auction round where there are enough properties on the table for, for each player to buy one. And you do take turns bidding on them, but you're it's an auction. So you... You put money on the table to say, I want to buy the, the highest valued property here. Or you drop out of the auction and take the lowest valued property that's currently on the table. And you keep doing that until there's only one person left. Every time you drop out, you get to take half of your previous bid for the property back uh, and then take the crappiest one. But the last person in who ends up with the best property also has to pay their entire bid amount. So knowing when to drop out uh, is a really crucial mm-hmm. element to the game because if you run out of money, you're kind of boned. Yeah. Um, it feels so, kind of like a betting round in a game of poker where when it mm-hmm. comes around to your turn, you have to decide whether you want to raise or yeah. pass. If you raise, you have to put more money out than yeah. the yeah. biggest bid that's currently out there. And if you pass, okay, you drop out of the round, you get half your money back, but you also get a property, whichever is the least good one. currently, And they're all face up. We can see yeah. their number. Yeah, you know what you're getting. You know what you're yeah. fighting over. Uh, and that's the, I think one of my favorite things about it is that because it's just randomly dealt out of the deck, there will be rounds where passing is just the greatest thing to do. Because yeah. if all five or four or three or however many players are, if all the properties on the table are relatively close in value, Passing is no big mm. deal. You're going to get essentially the same worth as someone who 
bids a bunch of money. But it's those rounds where there's a two on the table and there's the 28. Right. Those are the ones where <laughs> passing sucks, especially if you if you change your mind partway through the round. You're like, oh, I'm going hard for that 28. Here's 4,000. Here's 7,000. Here's 12,000. And they're like, well, these people aren't backing out, and I can't <laughs> afford to keep this up. So suddenly, you, even though you get half your bid back, you're paying six thousand mm-hmm. dollars for the sewer, uh, and that hurts a lot. <laughs> so we're going to continue this process. Once everybody's got a thing, we deal out more things, and everybody gets one thing, and then we deal out more things mm-hmm. until all thirty of these properties have been sold off. Then we go to phase two. We're going to flip these properties that we just bought. And the checks that you mentioned before are going to come out. The auction is different this time, though. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is simultaneous blind bidding for the second half well, can, of the can game. You, can you give us that in English, maybe? Yes. So um, money is now set aside. You're not bidding with your cash. You are bidding with your properties. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their property cards in their hand. If you're very clever, you can remember what people have acquired <laughs> over the course of the game. <laughs> I usually can't. I mean, I'll like, I know who's got the 30 and maybe who's got the 29, but after that it, it falls apart in my head. But you have a bunch of properties and just like in the first round where you laid out one property card for each player, you lay out one check card for each player and everyone at the same time picks one of their properties and they reveal them. So everybody shows their card at the same time. Whoever used the biggest house gets the biggest check off the table. And then the next biggest house gets the next biggest check until all the checks have been claimed. Those property cards are discarded. Mm-hmm. We set out new checks and you do it again with the remaining properties in your hand. And so, again, depending on the spread of money cards on the table, sometimes it's a good idea to go hard and play one of your biggest properties. Other times, that's not the good play. You want to play a, a low property or a middling property. And as with the first round, it's the times when there's a real disparity between those checks. Like if there's one that's worth nothing and four that are worth a lot, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you don't. Got, you got to go big because you don't want to be stuck with that. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck with that. But then, supposing everybody else goes big, yeah, or supposing yeah. everybody else except one person decides to go big, yeah. So weird question. Why is this fun, like, compared to other games? What is the appeal here? Why is this exciting? I think because there's, like, two different elements. It's almost like two separate games, but that's what makes it a game. Because it's not just like, okay, well, we bet on this, and now whoever got the highest amount of houses or best property wins. It's like you do that, and that's step one. And then step two is a different way to play that's similar style. Using the stuff that you got. Yeah, so it's like... You, you're putting out resources to get things, but so you're recycling things almost, but you have to think twice almost while you're playing. It kind of reminds me a bit of, of a lot of Euro games where you use your actions to get resources, mm. which you turn into other resources, yeah. which turn into points. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of that formula writ small in a really elegant, really uh, simple system. Mm. This game's had, uh, actually, have you, ever, have you ever played the variant where instead of having one card on the table for each player, you've got that many cards minus one? I haven't, oh. but that sounds vicious. There's <laughs> always one person who ends up with nothing. nothing. Oh. 
It hurts. It hurts. And I assume drop- that's the first person to pass. Gets yeah. yeah. <laughs> or in the blind bid, uh, whoever plays the, the, the crappiest thing, yeah. you have to decide when to play <laughs> your bad ones. And mm-hmm. it really hurts when you play a good one and everybody else played a slightly better one than you. There are some games that use a mechanic where the second to last person in the round is the one who gets screwed. Oh. So I think that would be an extra vicious <laughs> way to play with that variant. <laughs> Oh, no. First person to pass gets the worst. Second person, the next it's one. But it's the one who is so close. The one who doesn't make it all the way, <laughs> who, who gets nothing. I think Reina Knizia did that in Taj Mahal. He made it so that the absolute worst possible thing to do is when you're one of the last two people <sighs> in the bidding for something, because neither of you wants to drop out. Because you're both screwed Ooh. if you do it. Ow. The game Quartz does it. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, dwarven miners. Ah. <laughs> uh, it's a... Pr- Press your luck game, and it is the, the second last person gets boned. Now, this for sale has had quite a few editions from different publishers. Ravensburger, Uberplay, Griffin Games, uh, now Portal Games, and Yellow have all published this game. What makes it such a prize for publishers as they keep fighting over it like this? Uh, I suspect it's the fact that it is, as you said, essentially a micro game. It has a low cost to produce. Um, but it's a great game. It's got a great reputation among yeah. uh, the board game intelligentsia as well. Usually stuff that's this simple, they tend to kind of poo-poo, but not for sale. Mm. It seems like a pretty easy recommend, a real crowd pleaser. Um, I take it, you, you mentioned earlier, you bring this out at the cafe a lot. Um, Holly, is this, this is something that you can bring up for your friends and family, even if they're not into games, you figure, because you obviously know them better than I Yeah, I think it's because uh, the idea, you don't really have to think too much about playing. Like, Obviously, there's going to be the people who are heavy strategers who are like, okay, well, I know that the 25 hasn't come, but the 24 is there, so I later. But for the most part, you're just kind of like having fun, like playing. Like there's not too many, there's not too long of a turn. It's just kind of like happens how it happens, especially the second round. It's like, okay, everyone, one, two, three, let's go. As opposed to like, okay, I'm going to think. I'm going to really think about my turn. And <laughs> you I, can think about yeah. the game, but you can also play it on a very stimulus response yeah. uh, level. And if you do, that's going to mess up the plans of the ones who are really mm. trying to think through it. So yeah. even the ones who are relatively new to the stuff can still have a chance. Exactly. It's like when an idiot plays chess. You know, the, <laughs> the, the master can be thrown off completely. <laughs> like, why did why you, you make that, that move? <laughs> Okay, uh, I started out the episode by slagging off on Monopoly again. But, as, as always, but <laughs> real, rightfully so. Real talk now. <laughs> Is this actually a game you can reliably recommend to Monopoly players who've only got half an hour? Are they guaranteed to like this? There's no such thing as a guarantee yeah. in this world. <laughs> okay, um, somebody, but I think it's, pretty, it's a pretty solid bet. Mm-hmm. If somebody didn't like this game, why would that be? Uh, if we're comparing it to Monopoly, it might also be like in Monopoly, you get to roll the dice and move your cute little, like, you know, hat or whatever. And that aesthetic to it has something that's, you know, obviously not part of for sale. For sale is more like there's more gaming to it. But the Monopoly board is like very, I guess, classic. Like you're It's nostalgic. Yeah, it's nostalgic. Yeah, it's it's familiar to people. Mm -hmm. And some people like it. For exactly that reason, yeah. it's they they know it. They're comfortable with it. They either actually fondly have memories of it from the past, or they think they do. And so, for sale, while thematically the same as Monopoly, it doesn't have a lot of what Monopoly does. And so, it is it is entirely possible that someone who just wants that 
hot cup of cocoa of familiarity uh, is not going to enjoy this dark chocolate with a bit of cayenne uh, <laughs> hot cocoa that you're providing them. Uh, if you'd like to hear more about For Sale in a contrast with something else, uh, back in the first episode of Season 3, I did a solo episode comparing it and contrasting it with another game called High Society, which fulfills a similar role. You can check that out if you like. All right, that's it for this week. If you've got a topic you'd like us to get into or a game you'd like us to throw into the game spotlight, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Holly, Steve, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. The Snakes Cast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to people in it and not the company behind it. Thank you for listening, everyone. Game on. Game on.